This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Here's what I'm going to ask us to do today. Um, As we're studying this together, I'm going to read two scriptures. I'm going to read Matthew 6, which is what we're studying. And I'm going to read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses verses 2 through 10. And then I'm going to try to tie these things together. Um, I want to give, before we stand and read, I want to give just a a disclaimer, if you will. Just because I'm preaching this doesn't mean that I have figured this out. Just because I'm preaching this means that this is not a constant struggle and reality in my own life. But I have been completely wrecked as the Lord has been continuing to show me um, his heart for us as his father and this issue of money and the issue of poverty and the things that we are are seeing in our world around us and a lot of this is going to pour through this message today and I hope that you you sense me wrestling with these things but also I pray that as a church we continue to wrestle with this. And we continue to see uh, what God wants for us as the people of God. So let's stand together. And I'm going to read two scriptures today. And remember, as we're reading, this is God's word. I'm going to read Matthew 6, verse 25 through 34, and 1 Timothy 6, 2 through 10. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, could add a single hour to your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, and today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, First Timothy chapter 6, verses 2 through 10. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy dissension slander slander and evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. For godliness with contentment is great gain. 
For we brought nothing into this world and can take nothing out of this world. But if you have food and clothing, and these you will be content. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I will just kind of give you a heads up today just to encourage. I had a talk with my RC on Tuesday that I really want them to learn to amen me, to kind of spark a, uh, a spirit of amening in this church. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. So if you hear some shout, shouting this morning, it's because I'm trying to uh, go grassroots with it, kind of make my RC salt and light in this community to the rest of y'all. Uh, it just makes it so much easier to preach when, you, when someone's talking to you. Uh, you don't get it. You don't, you don't get it. All right. So a couple things we learned last week as Pastor Dave preached. Uh, and I will say, Pastor Dave, thank you so much. You did an incredible job. You looked scary back there like a, a security guard. Everybody's now looking at you. Don't want to come in this church. Um, no, Dave, Pastor Dave did an incredible job last week. And he showed us a few things. And I want us to write these things down and remember them. One would be this. You cannot detach your heart and your money. You can't detach your heart and your money. And here's what I mean by that. We have a tendency to think we know what's in our hearts. Scripture says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? We can't even know what's in our own heart. So that's why when somebody says to you, oh, you're doing this, and you're like, well, you don't know my heart. You don't know why I'm doing this. You don't know the motives. You don't know my heart. The reality is, yes, they don't, but also you don't. But the Lord gives us windows to show us where our hearts are at and what we like to do is disconnect our hearts from those windows and one of those windows is money where your money is where your treasure is you can have a window into where your heart is you can't disconnect those things we want to because we like to do what we want with our monies and still believe we have good hearts the reality is, nah, it's not true. Your heart is showing you where your, your money is showing you where your heart is. So don't detach your heart from your money. Your, heart, your money is a massive window into where your affections lie. Isn't it amazing that you always have money for what you love? The second thing we learned as we looked at last week is, what you focus on will affect your whole body. Here's another window to your heart. What are you constantly looking at? Your eye will affect your whole body. What you're focusing on is going to affect the very direction in which you go. What do you spend most of your time focusing on? And when you see that, that's another thing that shows us where our hearts are. We cannot believe that we can spend all of this time focusing on this and not be affected by it. Where is your focus? The third thing we talked about is that money is in competition with, the God, with God himself for our affections and our service. 
Here's what I want you to know. Nothing can accurately compete with God because God is far greater than all things. But the reality is, is what Jesus says when he says you cannot serve God and money is to get us to this place to where we understand that we should not be scared of money, but we should respect its power. Don't be scared of it. And I'm going to keep trying to pound this into us because I'm not trying to make you hate money or be scared of money, but I want you to not downplay it because what many of us do is exclude ourselves from the conversation and we make our relationship with money secret. Now, I want you to notice that when God calls us into a relationship with him, he says that our, and this was in the Sermon on the Mount, if you weren't here that week, he says that as Christians, we're to go into the secret place and our secret place is to affect our public display that those things can't be disconnected and isn't it amazing that the hypocrisy of us is that we want our worship to be public but we want to disconnect it from our private but when it comes to money we want it to be in the secret place it's our money we don't want anybody to know what we make we don't want anybody to know we have a secret intimate relationship with money the one we're supposed to have with God. And whenever I or any pastor gets up here and start talking about money, what do we start doing? We start protecting our idols. Oh, don't, don't go after that. You're close, you're intimate to it, and the reality is money is in competition for your affections. You shouldn't be scared of it, but you should understand just as 1 Timothy 6 said, and it says throughout all scripture, and now also what we saw last week, 1 Timothy 6 says, because of the love of money, it's the root of all kinds of evil. And what that means is, if you ever see true evil, like in the world or in our hearts, it's most likely rooted in a greedy desire. Like I I am not surprised when you look at the injustices in our world, when you look at racism, when you look at uh, uh, segregation, when you look at all of the destruction and consumerism, and you look at all the isms in our world, and you could go one after one after one. The way we mistreat people, the way we take advantage of people is all rooted in an economic drive for our country to grow and to prosper. If you don't believe that, you don't believe Scripture. God himself, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And here's what ends up happening. Is what you see taking place is that people begin to see money in this light. And what they don't understand, just like 1 Timothy 6, go back and study it. For this reason, because of the love of money, many people have walked away from the faith. Money is not just something that we're going after. Money is after our affections and will steer our affections away from Christ. And because of money, many people have walked away from their faith in Christ. It's a powerful draw. You shouldn't downplay it. You shouldn't be scared of it, but you shouldn't downplay it. Because the reality is, I'm not standing up here and not one thing that I'm going to say today is to tell you, you shouldn't have money. I don't want you to have money. You should be scared of money. Here, hear me. Have money. Have lots of money. I don't care. 
I don't care how much you earn or you don't earn. I don't care uh, what you drive or what you don't drive. I'm not trying to make you scared of money. What I want you to see is the power that it has and the draw that it has. And that as much as you want it is the part that is most dangerous. And as much as it consumes you is the part that's most dangerous. And what we see in 1 Timothy 6, and I want to highlight this before we go into the next part, is what it says. Imagining that godliness is a means of great gain. Here's what is most dangerous about money. And the idol and the false worship of money. When people go after great gain, what they end up doing is teaching a doctrine that tells you if you serve God, he will prosper you and give you more money. This is wicked and deceitful. And when you go after this and believe that becoming godly is a means of great gain, you have fallen into, as 1 Timothy says, a trap which will lead you away from the faith and destroy all of your relationships and lead people away from the faith. Whenever we begin to believe, God, I've done everything you've asked me to do and I'm still not having enough. You've swerved into the worship, and worst of all, hear me on this, worst of all, you're trying to force God to bow down to your idol, to worship money with you. And the reality of this leads us to a complete place of not understanding the beauty of the gospel, it's not godliness that leads us to great gain. It's godliness with contentment that is great gain. That word is so foreign. In our, the idea of contentment is almost a sin in the American culture. We are pushed to be driven for more, 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 more. We're never thankful. We're never satisfied. We're never content. contentment godliness with contentment is great gain and here's what he says for you brought nothing into the world and you can't take anything out this i know my dad stole this from scripture but my i remember going to my dad when i was a kid i said dad i'm running away i was so mad at my parents i'm running away had my little satchel packed i don't know why it had a stick with like a you know i don't know red lost boys or something like that I had a stick, a little satchel, and my dad goes, oh, good. Okay, great. Run away. Now, it threw me off. I thought he was going to be heartbroken. He said, but here's the thing. Take all your clothes off, everything, leave the bag, everything, the stick, everything, and walk out of this house naked. I'm like, weird. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? He's all, look, son, those clothes you're wearing, they're mine. That stick from my backyard. Everything you have is because of me. You came into this world naked, you're leaving this house naked. <laughs> I went back to my room, he had a point. <laughs> the reality of this pushes into the depths of what we believe about money. But if we have food and clothing, with these we should be content. Here's 
Here's what we believe. We believe we made ourselves into who we are. We believe we earned everything we had and worked our way to this position. And the reality of these two things, food and clothing. This is mentioned in all of Scripture, but the two ones that I mentioned to you uh, just now, Matthew 6, where Jesus is talking about don't worry about food, don't worry about clothing. And 1 Timothy 6 says don't worry about food, don't worry about uh, clothing. These two things should lead us to contentment if we have food or clothing. Here's the problem with riches, is that it adds to our list of needs. Here's what ends up happening. The reason you can't be content with food or clothing is because immediately in your mind is what you start to think is, wait, God is putting food and clothing as the basics of our need and anything above that we should be thankful for? We should be thankful for food and clothing, but even anything above that, what we immediately go to, wait a minute, what about shelter? I need a house. I have to have a house. And not just a house, I have to have a house big enough to fit all of my my family, to fit all my stuff. I got to have a shelter. I got to have a house. Well, well wait a minute. I, if I'm going to have a house, I, gotta, I also have to have, I, I need utilities. Like, I got to make sure I have, uh, you know, uh, uh, water, electricity, and cable. Isn't that amazing how that's become a need? I have to have it. I have to have internet. I have to have cable. And, and if I'm going to have, oh, wait a minute. I mean, I'm gonna, if I'm going to live in the burbs and have the dream and the white picket fence, I got to have the car. I got to have a car, and not just a car. I got to have a car that's good enough to get from here to there. And if I'm going to have a car, I got to have insurance, and I got to have gas, and all those are needs. And hold on a second. How could you not put a cell phone as a need anymore? How did people exist without a cell phone? And isn't it amazing that we start feeling bad for people who have flip phones? Like they're not having the basic essentials of life without a smartphone? And the realities of how we now need, when we start talking about it, we don't start talking about these things as extra blessings, but we need an entertainment budget. We need a vacation budget. Everybody else gets to go on vacation. Why don't I get to go on vacation? Here's what happens when you live in wealth and you don't even realize it. You start adding to food and clothing your list of needs that aren't actually needs. You start making all of this list, and I'll tell, I'll tell you this. You would not be content with what God says you actually need because you think you need more. Thank you. You better, you better hear what ends up happening. Why is it that riches draw us away and lead us into temptation and a snare of senseless, harmless. And why is the money root of the love of money the root of all kinds of evil? And why is this kind of craving and where we don't have contentment? Why have people walked away from the faith? Why is First Timothy warning us against the allurement of, of 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 money? And why is Matthew chapter six, when Jesus says you cannot worship God and money, you can't worship both? Why is it that scripture over and over again makes the baseline of food and clothing? Because here's what ends up happening when you worship money. You live an anxious, fearful life. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What you eat, what you drink, what you wear. There it is, food, drink clothing. 
Because here's what false worship does. It produces anxiety. Why does it produce anxiety? The reason it produces anxiety is because you begin to live in a way in which you have a relationship with money where you want it, crave it, need it, but you know it doesn't care about you at all. Money does not care about you. This love for money has this deep desire and affection. And you know, if you're like me, you've wrestled with this, you know that that paycheck you're getting now, um, may not be there tomorrow. And the way and the standard in which you're living now may not be there tomorrow. So what do you do? You live all of your life working, toiling, living in anxiety. And what money does, according to Matthew chapter 6, is it makes us unhuman. False worship devalues us as humans. That's why God's, why Jesus says, look at the birds of the field. Look at the birds for, for they, they, they eat and they're provided for and they don't, they don't fear at all uh, about what they're going to have. They don't gather into barns. Why? Because they know their heavenly father. They, aren't you more valuable than they? Here's what ends up happening when we worship money. We are filled with anxiety and we devalue ourselves. Here's, here's what we end up doing. We base our value and worth based upon how much we have and what we put on. That affects not only our lives personally, because when we put on that new outfit, all of a sudden, we walk with a different swagger. Uh, there's nothing like the feeling you get when you know you, you look good. And you, you're on fleek, and you are, are really right. Everything's right. And that lasts for a couple times wearing it before you look at that same outfit and go, I don't have anything to wear. <laughs> Why? Because now it can't keep producing that same rush, that same feeling, that same value that it gave to you. It can't sustain. How many of you not only look at yourself, but others? and place value on them based upon the amount of money they make. See a man who may not have as nice of a house or may not have a house at all. May not be wearing as nice of clothes or driving a car. Or maybe they don't even have one and they have to ride a bike. And in your minds, the value you have on them and then all of a sudden, there's a billionaire who can do and say whatever he wants to say, and we're good with it, and we might elect him. Why? Hear me. Hear me. I don't care who you vote for. What I want you to hear is this. You have raised his value because he knows how to make money. 
church, we have devalued ourselves when what we think gives us value is money and clothing. That's why James says, how dare you as a church when someone walks in with gold and bling and a big necklace and you put him in the front row and then somebody walks in dirty and shabby and doesn't have all the essentials and you put them in the back and hope they don't run visitors off. When the reality of what it means is you better figure out a way to get in the right mindset, understand the gospel so much that that one that you're devaluing probably has far more value than you could ever place on them if you wrote them a check. Church, the love of money has destroyed individuals, churches, culture, the world. We build neighborhoods based upon how much money someone makes. We build denominations based upon money. We build uh, whole cities based upon money and sections. And we have inner cities and marginalized. And we have all of these economic divides all based upon what schools we go to, education. Everything sits upon money. And we sit back and treat it flippantly and privately when the reality is it's trying to woo you away from God himself. And filling us with anxiety and devaluing who we are as people. And there's only one way for us to get back to where we need to be. Jesus is saying this. First, refocus. Look and consider. Look at what Jesus does. He says, look at the birds and look and consider the lilies. Here's what he says. He says, the birds, they're not sitting around with anxiety disorder, trying to to fill themselves with all these kinds of things. They're not worried about the things that are there. And listen, I'm not saying that anxiety and, and these disorders are not real, but I want you to hear this. What he's pointing to is much of our anxiety, not all of it, but much of it is rooted in false worship. What we need to do is refocus. And how do we do that? Is by looking at something... That reminds us of what Pastor Dave said this last week. Remember what he talked about last week? Where he says, the eye is the window and what we focus on is going to affect our whole body. We need to refocus. Instead of looking at what we don't have and what we think we need, we need to look at the faithfulness of our God to provide for all of his creation. Look and consider and see the value. Second, what's the other thing we need to do? The reason why money is such a power, powerful seduction and leads us to anxiety and devaluing is because it, bege- it, it gets us to doubt our father and his character. That's why in this text, he's saying, look at the birds, refocus, look at the grass, refocus, and remember this, your dad cares for you. Why? Because when we see how much we want and what our dad is giving us, we're like, you don't really care for me. Uh, I think, I, I, I won't st- throw anybody under the bus, but it was a great story, uh, families got together and I bought a throwaway gift for Christmas for one of my family members. 
you know what a throwaway gift is, right? It's like you have to get them a gift because they're a family member, right? Uh, and a kid, you know, they got, I, and, and the parents are the ones who are getting the real, you know, the real gift. I'm just getting a, you know, stuffy or something like that, you know. It's just some random little object. We got together, enjoy each other, and everybody's opening the gift. And all of a sudden, he opens the gift, he opens it up, and he thought this was his Christmas gift. And what he expected was what his parents were going to get him, right? And what he wanted was up here, and what I got him was down here. And he just broke down crying and was angry and threw the gift and everything. And we're just sitting there. And, and, and the reality of that is, it was what he thought he needed that made him not appreciate and be thankful and content with what he got. And this is how we live most of our lives. The reason we can't live with contentment and the reason we don't think God cares is because we have a thing of what we think we need and then what God actually gives to us, assigns to us, entrusts us with. And so what we do is look to God and say, you don't care for me because everybody else has cable and I don't. You don't care for me because I, everybody else has a smartphone and I got a flip phone. You don't care for me because everybody else has a car and I have to ride a bike or take the tram. And you don't care for me because I, I have an apartment and they have a house. You don't care. And what ends up happening is instead of us distrusting money, we start to distrust our father. Thank you. Somebody else help her. Help her out, please. I'll tell you, thank you, thank you. Stir them up, stir them up. Help them, Lord. We need this. What else? God doesn't care. That's why he says, your father cares for you. What else? Your father covers you. This is what he says. Your father will clothe you. He'll put it on. Your father covers you. What do we end up thinking? God, you don't cover me. You don't got my back. You're not, you, don't, you don't cover me. What else? We start thinking our God doesn't know us. That's why he says, your father knows every what? Every need before you even ask it. He knows what you need. Notice he didn't say wants. Needs. He knows what you need. He knows when to break you down and when to bless the socks off of you. He knows when to strip away all of your things because you're grabbing too tightly from it. And he knows when to overload you with too many things. He knows when to get your house uh, re, uh, foreclosed on. Preach somebody. I'm preaching myself today. And he knows when to put you in a a little apartment with multiple kids. I'm preaching to myself today. He knows how to build up and he knows how to tear down. He knows how to parent us. But what we end up doing is we have this expectation of what the father should do and what he needs to do. And what we begin to believe is, you don't know me. See, the very problem with why you can't love God and love money and you can't serve both is because you will love one and there you go, hate the other. You can't love both. 
Why? Here's why. Because when you love money, you will end up hating God. Because he's not going to serve it with you. You have to hear this. What Jesus is saying is not trying to stop you from having money. He's trying to stop money from having you. And you have to grab this reality. Because everything in us looks at money and not only wants gain, but will do whatever it means necessary to get that gain, even if we have to use our church going, our tithing, our godliness to get us that gain. Church, hear me on this. If you don't learn to filter this stuff through the gospel, then what you'll end up doing is living in a place where you don't actually deal with your idolatry, but you end up trying to hate money. Here's, here's the example that I, I, I'll try to give the best that I can. Uh, is when, when somebody tries to deal with this idolatry by saying, well, I'm just not going to have money. I'm just going to live in poverty and not have money. That's not the answer anyway, because you're not really dealing with the idolatry. Right? It's like when uh, you're dating somebody and they break up with you and they treated you like dirt, but you just love them. We've all been there before. You just love them and you try everything. Everything in your world just reminds them of them and you just want to stop thinking about them. Like, why can't I stop thinking about them? But you just look at that and you're walking in the mall and your song plays and you just break down crying in the middle of the mall. Everybody's like, is she okay? What's going on over there? You take everything in your house that reminds of you, you run it out, you go out with your, with your friends, you sit with them, and you try to talk trash about them all the time, and you feel empowered. You're all sitting around like, they're dogs, they're just jerks, I can't believe they, you're better off without them, girl. You know that that was wrong, and they have, yeah, you're just like, yeah, I hate them. You walk out, and you just break down crying, I want to hate them so bad, but I can't. Why? Because hate is not powerful enough to root out love. There is no way that hate will root out the love of something. When does it change? Well, I'll tell you when it changed. When the next shawty comes along. When the next boo shows up, right? (laughs) Then you start dating again and all of a sudden you're like, I never knew I could love like this. All of a sudden, you start, man, they're treating you so well. And somebody comes along and they go, hey, girl, you remember when you were dating that guy? And you're like, who? What's his name again? I can't even remember. All of a sudden, a new love, a greater love drives out that other affection. No matter how hard you tried to hate, no matter how, tried, how hard you tried to run from it, no matter how much you tried to get rid of it, you couldn't stop yourself from Loving it. You tried and you tried and you tried. And it wasn't until you loved something greater. And that's what this text is calling us to. The Father is not saying, hate money. He's saying, seek me first and my kingdom 
and love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let this greater, deeper, truer affection for me as your father displace any other affection and put it in its rightful position in your life. See, the reality in this church is when my kid is standing on the edge of a pool and I'm saying, jump to me, and they're freaking out. I can't, Dad, I can't, I can't jump, I can't jump. I could try a, a tactic like, you're just chicken. You're a little wimp, you punk. Jump in this water. Or I could try another tactic like, you're stronger than this water. You're smarter. You can do it. You're better than all of this. You won't drown. You can swim. You can do it. No, they can't. Stop feeding them that stuff. <laughs> and this is what we try. We try to make people love. We try to make people hate uh, uh, and, and try to condemn people and, and call them, you know, they can do, you just got to give up on you. Can, or we try to build them up. You can do it. You're stronger. You can overcome this. The only way that my kid's going to jump off this edge is when they hear me say this. Your dad loves you and he's got you. And there's no way he's going to let you fall and he's not going to let you drown. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And it's not until their love for me overcomes their fear of what they're about to do that they're able to jump in why because until we have a greater love and a greater desire and a greater affection and a greater seeking seek him first and his kingdom this doesn't say hate money this says seek him first and his kingdom you remember when I said, no matter how much you want money, it never wants you back? Uh, your father loves you. He wants you. He loves you. He, he cares for you. Seek him. How do we seek? See, this is not just what we would think where it's like, oh, well, when my emotions change, when everything gets back in line. Listen, I know those are helpful and those are a part of who we are, but this seeking is an intentional seeking first of his kingdom, and it's a turning towards who he is. And here's the ways that I want us to remember this as we go into a time of prayer. First is this. Step back and consider. Now, some of you know I, I help run a, a painting company and uh, one thing that I, I, I can find myself doing is I feel the weight of trying to provide and get jobs so that all these guys can work and provide for their families and I start feeling this weight and, uh, and, and whenever we get into slow seasons, uh, Brian and I uh, are wrestling with, man, how can we get jobs in and, and what can we do? How can we, how can we make this happen? But part of that is not bad, but the other part of it becomes corrupt to to who I am because what I start to believe is I could just work my way out of it I could just hustle I can do all the things and I'm going to make it happen because I believe my works will produce this rather than a reality of me having to tell myself what I really need to do right now uh, is slow down 
and step back and consider. I need to look at who's really good and who's really in control and who's really knows what we need. That's why he says, don't get anxious. And in order to avoid anxiety, you need to take a minute and not try to work your way out of this thing and try to go, I'll just do overtime. I'll just go hustle here. I'll go take this loan out and go cash this check at that check place. And I'll, I'll go take this loan and I'll borrow money here. And I'll, go, I'll try, rather than stepping back, slowing down and repenting. Repenting means turning from the worship of money. Believing that through your works and through your affections and through your repenting of the worshiping of money and reprioritizing. What does that mean? What I have to do in these times, church, and I'm trying to give you as much help as possible, is I have to reprioritize, and here's what I mean. Because I live personally in a place where I have many, many, many things that are above what I actually need, I need to reprioritize. And I need to go back to this reality where I start to think, and I've done this so many times, church, I... This may just give you insight into my twistedness. Is going, what if, what if I can't uh, pay that car payment? What if I can't pay that cable bill? What if I can't pay that cell phone bill? What if I have to get rid of it and actually live with just food, clothing, and in a small apartment? That's, can I still be thankful? Or what if I can't? Afford a house, one thing God's continued to encourage me with is he's always taken care of me. I've, I've looked at the ways in which God has provided for me even when I didn't feel like I had enough. And I've thought so many times because of how rich I am in relationships and with people in my life, if I was to lose everything, I guarantee you that I have enough of y'all in this room that would take me and my 20 kids up in your house. And I know that's hard for people to understand, but because of the richness that I actually have, I can see that God has surrounded me with people who love me and care for me. And the reality of this is how much I actually have and what I actually need. I need to reprioritize, and then I need to refocus on trusting in my Father. I need to become a child who is in need and saying, God, Dad, I love you. I trust you. And then what I need to do, and I know this is hard for some of y'all because y'all think you're planners, but don't look too far into the future. Jesus says here, don't, don't worry about tomorrow because here's the, here's, you have enough right now that you need to worry about that you need to face. You have enough right now that you need to process through. And you looking too far in the future is getting you into a place where you're trying to control not only what's here, but you're trying to control what's there. Focus on God. Process through what's right in front of you. And remember this. The reason why God blesses us with anything more than food and clothing, and this is hard for us to rest, if you could look at how blessed you actually are, you would realize that this problem that we face is not only not a result of the kingdom, this is not godly, it's also not 
what we see in the world. This is an American problem that we have. We are so rich that we have looked into other nations who don't have our wealth and we've devalued them based upon what they have. And rather than seeing, church, I've gone to other countries and I've walked through places and I start to, to, to feel bad, like, oh my goodness, they need a better house or they need a better... And, and to see the followers of Christ with smiles on their face and knowing that they're rich and more thankful than we have ever been in our lives, I start to realize maybe we're not as prosperous as we think we are. We're filled with anxiety and fear. And as we come to this table today, here's what I want us to think about. The Father has provided everything you need and as you come to this table, he's provided you bread, food. Because here's, here's the reality of it. You are completely dependent upon him to pay this debt that you could never. You are so far in debt when it comes to what you owe God. You have sinned so greatly against him. There is nothing you could do. There is no money you could earn to ever repay God for what it is that you have actually owe him. And where that debt is leads us in such a place of need. But what we see here is like what we really need is bread. We need food. And God has provided in his son the very food that we need to, to make us right, this bread. We need Jesus. What else do we need? We need clothing. And in this cup, he provides for us a covering. His blood covers us and makes us righteous. And that we can now stand before God as our Father and need nothing. We have everything we need in Christ. And as you come to this table, you should live with great sense of understanding that you are rich and you have all that you need in Him and that you should learn what it means to be content, thankful. Understanding that you have been given way more than we need. That we should see the blessings that we have and be a blessing to others that we should learn what it means to rejoice in and be thankful for what christ has given to us so here's what we're going to do we're going to come to this table we're going to refocus we're going to repent we're going to, to worship we're going to set our eyes upon him we're going to partake of the very thing that christ, god gave to us through christ rejoicing in what he's done the tables are open we're going to have a time of worship together. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.